Powered by Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. It's week two of college baseball. We have Dan joining us tonight to actually break down college baseball and join us. I'll tell you what, Dan, and I want your opinion on this. This is the first time I felt like this while recording a podcast in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dragon. I don't know why, but I'm hurting right now. It got late quick today. It got late quick today. It didn't. And when you have guests on, like if, if we had a guest on at like juice. one in the morning, I'd have to bring the juice. Like you have no, like no yeah. problems, but I've seen, this is the fifth time I've seen your face this week, four <laughs> times in person. And this is the fifth time we're kicking it off over, over a video call. And it's like, I don't have the juice for you anymore. I guess it's, we have no more left in the squeeze. No, you and I had a really good weekend though. We packed a lot in like starting on Thursday into into three days we did we did and that's the beauty of the weather turning a corner hopefully we'll be doing that a lot we got tons of great college baseball in our area i know both weekends you know i've been to campbell a couple times we've been up to Cary a couple times to watch the fighting lightning of goldie beacon and getting to see them play in person was nice obviously they won't be down for the rest of the year so Kind of sucks that we won't get to see them again, but it's good to get out and, and watch baseball or play pickleball or even, you know, God forbid we, we start uh, saving up some funds, playing some golf. Look, man, I'm ready whenever you are. I Saving yeah. up some funds is the only thing that uh, needs to happen, but anytime. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. That's, that's the most difficult part about playing golf. It's, it's an expensive hobby. Pickleball, Especially you can find it like you and I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a conversation for another day <laughs> we don't we don't need to to reveal our baggage on air well i'm just saying it makes it more expensive when you know you're using more than three golf balls around yeah could you imagine buying a sleeve and playing a whole round of it like pro v like multiple rounds yeah you know what i mean like, like you get a sleeve mm-hmm. and like you play like four rounds with it because it's crazy I saw some guy hop a yard into uh, somebody's backyard to get a Pro V1, and like the dog chased him down. It was like a a huge dog. They were like Sandlot, but golf. And I was like, I would never. Like, I I could burn a Pro V1 into somebody's backyard. I'm so used to it. I'm just grabbing the the Tommy Bahama ball that's been in my back for like a year now that I refuse to use because it's got it's got a palm trees on it. Yeah, the Callaway with some dude's initials on it that you found one day and it's been in your bag for a while. Guess I'm JD today. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. It's you uh, know what's crazy? It's, it's 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 like this with everything, I guess. But now that I'm thinking about it with golf, it's like the pro guys never lose balls and they get all their theirs for free. And then those of us, those of us who can't play golf, have to buy them and we we lose six around. Funny how that'd that would be bad business if they were giving free golf really balls to business. the amateurs and they were making the pros pay for the one they use it's true. all year. That's true. That's true. Well, those guys were cycling because they hit them so much that it's like, ah, yeah. lost its juice. Need a new one. Yeah. Ah, 
Yeah, could you imagine? You're like at hole three. You feel like you caught it flush, and you're like a- asking for a new ball, like a pitcher. You're like, I ah, get rid of that one. Give it to some kid in in on hole three. We we got to get rid of that. It's not flying right. Yeah, yeah, I don't like the way it's spinning with my uh, sixty degree lob wedge. It's like, okay, I'm just glad I hit it pure. <laughs> yeah, and it I hit it backspin. Yeah, I hit it in the air. So this this is a, a college baseball podcast that we're trying to do, not a not a golf podcast as much as we wish we were golf experts as well as college football experts on some different days. We we tend to get off track at certain times. But uh just a little check in for the week two series. Obviously there was a lot of good baseball this this past weekend. Uh Vanderbilt took the series over UCLA in a ranked on ranked matchup two to one at Vanderbilt. Ole Miss took the series over Maryland after Maryland won on Friday night and a big win for Maryland, but Ole Miss took the last two. East Carolina swept the series with UNC two to nothing. They had a home and home there because they're so close to each other with the game on Saturday being canceled. It's a miserable day here in the Raleigh area on Saturday. Florida State unranked big series win for them taking down the TCU Horn Frogs two to one. Uh, TCU took the game three. They were looking at a sweep coming into Sunday. UC Santa Barbara wins a series against a ranked Oregon team two to one. And lastly, big news was Oklahoma State throws back-to-back no-hitters and then gives proceeds to give up 10. So Dan, as we unpack all of that, how impressive is it to give up 10 after going back to back no hitters or is that just the law of averages it's the law of averages i mean we were talking about this earlier Uh, like the chances of throwing back to back no hitters combined no hitters too so your whole team's doing it like the fact that no one stuck out a barrel and and found a hole or had a swinging bunt for a base hit like I feel like you're almost bound to give up 10 the next time out. Like it just, it just works that way. Baseball is such a, like there's so much out of your control in the game of baseball that the fact that you're able to throw back to back combined no hitters, obviously Oklahoma state has a lot of talent. It's not like their guys are up there throwing back to back, no hitters throwing 86 to 88, but still just the fact that you do that with using eight pitchers, I think it was like, that's, yes, that's uncommon. So to give up 10, I think the funny thing is, is if you look at their scores throughout the year, we were talking about this earlier. It's like they, they either give up double-digit runs or they shut you out. So if you get a yeah. couple early, just know you're probably going to have a good day, I guess. And if you don't, then you're probably in for a long one. Yeah, that's it, it is crazy that like I mean, even if they even if you had the same pitchers pitching against like an average division three team, somebody could get lucky. Right. Like it's not it's not Justin Verlander versus eight year olds, right? Me like and you. Right. Yeah, like there's there's some skill that goes into hitting, and it's not like they struck everybody out. It wasn't like dominant. Like that, there is a sense of luck that goes into it. But on a more serious note, as you kind of unpack like what Oklahoma State has shown so far, it's like as a pitching coach and from your perspective, like how hard is it to balance the fact of knowing you have a Friday night guy who was really good in Week One against Missouri, and then who goes out and throws six no hit innings, and like you know that guy's front in your rotation, but then you kind of get into the nitty gritty of the depth, and you don't even know who's going to show up. I think on Saturday they've given up ten on both weekends. How do you even handle that? Is that just kind of like hoping that you figure it out by conference play? Yeah, and I mean the thing that I always used to say is is water always finds its level. Um, that's kind of just my my philosophy for everything in life, and, and especially when you're coaching and you're in it, right? You build everything up all fall, 
all of season and all you're thinking about is the season, right? You're building everything towards that. So when the season starts, it's it's easy to overreact a little bit, I think, and everyone wants to do it. You know, you're you're playing non-conference games. This is your first look at whatever this version of your team is. So you want to kind of say like, oh, well, after two weekends, this is this and this is this. When they, the answer is it's fluid. So I think it's going to, you know, it's going to change where, you know, they're not going to be as volatile. They'll probably find the middle. And yeah, you just got to try and piece it together. When you, when you lack depth, right, you, and you, you know you have, okay, this guy's a, a surefire thing. Our Friday night guy's going to go out there and he's going to keep us in every game. We have a chance to win every night. Now we just got to figure out what the best recipe is moving forward for the rest of the weekends and what guys can succeed in what situations against who. And, and like you said, you try and get that figured out by conference play. Because at the end of the day, in college baseball, I mean, obviously you can get the, you know, at-large bids are important and, and these games matter because they have to go on your resume. But you, if you handle business in conference, that's where you set yourself up for success. So as long as you're kind of figuring things out right now and you can kind of have an idea going into conference play, you're fine. Yeah, and strength is schedule-wise. Oklahoma State's probably a, an at-large team no matter what. Right. Uh, just from what they play in the midweek, from what their conference schedule entails, exactly. they go win 30 games they're in. It's yeah, go go goal. win thirty games and have a decent showing yeah. in the Big Twelve tournament. You're gonna you'll be in a regional. Exactly, and they can hit too. So like Not you also have the peace of mind of knowing you have guys like Rock Riggio in your lineup, kind of backing you up when your pitching staff is trying to figure it out. You know they can go take the sticks and battle somebody, um, and and kind of get go toe to toe with those teams. And the other thing I'll ask you from from kind of the stuff from this weekend is as a as a North Carolina guy, how do, how does it feel being a, a fly on the wall for the ECU UNC series? ECU taking both in comeback fashion, showing some grit. Uh, Cliff Godwin squad did. Well, full transparency, right? Like I've never really followed college baseball until this year when I'm not in it, right? Because it's just been so hard. Like oh, I, so I was hard, in yeah. it, I was worried about our own thing. Like to try and keep up with Division One college baseball would have been impossible. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm still learning as we go, and I'm not, um, and I'm also new to North Carolina. The talent in this area, it's so awesome. Like I'm just mm. saying that, like strictly as a fan and not someone who's going to, you know, acting like they know everything right now. Not putting on a front. Like, it is crazy, the talent. I mean, just Campbell, UNC, NC State, ECU, Duke, like all these teams that are in this area. It's so much fun to watch. And that ECU-UNC game, obviously, I watched more so Friday night. And and, um, both those teams are so impressive on both sides of the ball, offensively, on the mound. Like, there are just guys everywhere. And I mean, the talent level – Across Division One baseball, and across all levels of baseball, it just seems like it's getting better and better and better and better, and it's ridiculous. And, and those two teams are just so much fun to watch right now. I mean, Max Carlson from UNC is so good. Like just watching his, he's throwing Bugs Bunny. Like he looked like Pedro. Like his changeup, really. Mm-hmm. Like just that arm slot and everything, and the swings and misses he was generating with his changeup against ECU Friday night. And then, and then ECU, like you said, to to hang in there. I mean, that's a really good team. That's a fringe top 10 team in the country. And mm-hmm. um, and you could argue after this weekend they probably solidified yeah. themselves as a top 10 team. Like to, to hang in there and win that game late Friday when, you know, through seven innings they, they couldn't generate any offense and they're at home, big crowd, and it had kind of quieted down because UNC was kind of all over them early to, to fight back and win that one and then go on the road today. Again, they're close, so go on the road is not like I'm sure there's a ton yeah. of ECU fans in Chapel Hill if we were there. Mm-hmm. But like it, it, it's impressive. But man, both those teams are, are so good. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of ECU fans at um, both sides. There was a lot of UNC fans at East Carolina right. when they played there at um, 
Clark LeClaire Stadium, and then when they when they came over to UNC today, it was a ton of ECU fans. So it was both both groups traveled well. And Max Carlson, you mentioned him; he pitched really well on Friday night this on the year. I know it's only eleven innings, but he's pitching to a three point one eight with fourteen strikeouts and eleven and a third innings. Obviously, he pitched really well, and it's that bullpen that a lot of people are worried about. And for for the uh, Tar Heels, that they kind of blew both games. I mean. ECU, I watched the game today and, you know, they kind of sneak up on you and the next thing you know, they're up by one and then they close it out. And it's like, oh, like that happened. Like, and it, that, that's what happened on Friday night too. They snuck up, they took a lead and then they shut the door and, and UNC very co- easily could have walked away from this series up 2-0 and, and gave ECU two losses as well. And, you know, Connor Bovair, who pitched for UNC today, looked really sharp as well. He's pitching to a one nine three through nine innings this year. So, you know, they definitely have two arms that are really good, UNC does. But ECU, they battled, right? You talk about culture and you talk about grit and you talk about the, the intangibles that lead to success, especially across the course of a season when there's going to be a ton of highs, tons of lows, and a ton of failure. You know, that's a team that shows grit and, and shows determination to come back when whenever you have teams that can consistently come back and and are never out of a game it really shows the the quality of the culture and the quality of the group of guys and and the quality of what what cliff godwin's growing there and and kind of obviously they've been a top program for years now but ever talent talent they go toe-to-toe with unc i know unc is the state school i know it's the you know kind of pinnacle of the state of north carolina high academic everything that it is and that comes from it and the colors represent so much but i mean you watch the guys on east carolina and there's specifically two 2024 draft position player guys that I wanted to talk about. And obviously one of them is the guy everybody knows and it's Vance Honeycutt. He hit a ball into the lights today. I remember I was on the phone with you just like basically jaw to the floor dropping over how much talent he has. He's six for seven on stolen basis. He had 25 home runs as a true freshman. He's added mass this off season and he just looks so good already this year. He plays an elite defense. He made an unreal play against Arkansas in the in the regional last year, and and just he's probably the future number one overall pick. And you watch him playing again; he just oozes with talent, he oozes with swagger, and the game surprisingly comes easy for him. It's a go up to your first at bat, bump for a base hit, steal second, you're in scoring position at the drop of a dime for the for two three four for Matt Horvath, who's stud and hit a nuke today and then you have on ecu side you have jacob jenkins cowart who i saw live on tuesday um at campbell and i was really impressed with the body i was really impressed with the frame i think there's definitely some mass he could add on to it and then he just casually goes laser into left center field against campbell and, and trust me i know i mentioned it on the podcast last week campbell doesn't have any slouches on their arm they still rolled out 97 i'm pretty sure the knock he had was against ty cummings who's not 96 to 99 with an absolute hammer of slider. And he just goes 110 into the left center gap. And, you know, when you look at the talent of both these teams, and again, you mentioned college baseball, which we, there's going to be a week where we're going to sit down and we are going to talk about why the talent is the way it is and, and how baseball is changing. I mean, we were with our good friends at Goldie Beacom this weekend talking about how 90s the new 84 and it's unreal you can't win without at least three or four guys in your rotation that throw 90 when you look at the talent and you look at guys like Vance Honeycup and Jacob Jenkins Coward like 
how awesome is it to see it, you know an ECU stack up talent wise with a UNC and and have comparable talent and how fun is it to watch these guys? Well, it just makes it so fun, right? Like because when you have a, a, a diversified talent level across the country and and smaller schools like ECU and like one thing I did learn shortly after moving here is. ECU, those people hate the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they can go out there and they can take two from them and, and, you know, sweep a series, a short series, but still sweep a short series against them, like that make, that's what's awesome. The fact that, but on Tuesday night, Campbell, an even smaller school, can, you know, host ECU and beat them. Like that, yep. the fact that you can have that. And yeah, I mean, the talent on the field, the, the, the Honeycutt kid is impressive. And you told me that, uh, today that you had heard that he put on 15 pounds in the offseason it's like he could keep going like mm-hmm. he still isn't he's still not completely you know filled out and jenkins cohort boogies like just every every single yeah. one of these guys when you watch one of these games one of the things that i'm i'm noticing is like everyone in in these lineups like you watch them and every one of them has something impressive mm-hmm. like the, you know whether it's bat to ball power speed you know and then all the arms i mean every arm mm-hmm. you see out there it's like goodness gracious how did i ever play at college baseball at any level you know what i mean like it's just like this is so different yeah there were so many times last year where i thought that it's like and and again, I mean, you say at any level, it's like it's we're not that far from playing you and I. Like we're not that old. Like I, no, five I, you know, years. Exactly. It's like I was three up until the point. Like I was still, I I would have still been eligible at Arcadia last year as a player because of the COVID <laughs> rules. Like one hundred percent. Like I, if I would have stayed at the D three level, I would have two full years of eligibility post COVID, and I could have been playing last year. Thank God I wasn't because. Every team we faced that was good had guys throwing 90. And when I was playing, and again, the conference Arcadia is in is a little different than the conference I played in, but it was like 82, 85 was like gas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it was like, that was like smoke. But like now it's everybody. Th- and like at the Division One level, it's literally like I, I tell you, I was telling you and our good friend Tommy Cockhill that like every guy on Campbell throws 94. Their midweek starter was 94. And you're like, just like, I'm like in all, like, fired up watching guys just pump gas. And I'm like, this is normal, I guess, at this. Is, is this just the expectation now? Yeah, it is. And I mean, it, it, you see it at the big league level, right? Like, it all trickles down, right? Like, how many guys are touching 100 at the big league level, right? Like, and then you, yeah. you trickle it down. And now it's like everybody's touching 95 at the, upper levels of division one baseball and i mean and, and it is impressive still because campbell's a small school and when you think about it on that scale it's like you're talking about recruiting a, to a small school and you're still getting this type of talent um mm-hmm. and i think the train i do i know people think about the transfer portal in the opposite way of the fact that oh, all these guys you know chase dolander is going to transfer up to tennessee mm-hmm. and 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 these guys are going to leave and go to bigger schools but also the, the kids that can throw 94 and might have you know, a little bit of a defect. There might be something ugly about them that wouldn't get on the mound for LSU, for Tennessee, for an SEC mm-hmm. program, for even some of the bigger ACC schools, right? They're in the back of North Carolina's bullpen. Well, guess what? They can go to Campbell and they can start. Yep. And they're 94. Like, they can go to mm-hmm. UNC. They can try it out. They can realize they're not playing, and then they can boogie out and go to a school like Campbell, and there's nothing wrong with that. You'd be in nothing a regional. Mm-hmm. You have just as much of a chance, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the transfer portal has um, helped kind of level out some of the talent, especially in pitching. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say, and again, you're talking about when I was younger, but like 10 years ago, 
how many of these ACC and SEC schools just stashed mm-hmm. all these guys. And those guys were at those schools, and they were there, and they might not have pitched mm-hmm. that much, and then you would never even know about them. Also, shortening the draft. You took the mm-hmm. MLB draft from 40 to 20 rounds. Now there's more talent at the college levels. Yeah, and and that's been one thing that I've been um, clamoring for is just the idea of that MLB organization should probably, at least in the past, now with the transfer portal, it's a little bit different, but – Instead of taking the D3 guy, and this is nothing, like I got nothing but love for D3 guys, D2 guys, JUCO guys, NAIA guys, like all those guys from small schools. But the guy that doesn't make it at a UNC, at a Vanderbilt, at a Florida, at a Tennessee, and he's the backup first baseman, backup shortstop, do we forget that that guy was drafted in the 36th round out of high school? And he... Do you think he lost all the talent? Yeah, sure. That's why you got to go put send the scout and get boots on the ground and ask around. Like, is he boozing? Is he doing this? So you have to find out all the details. That's scouting, right? You have to make your well-rounded decisions. But talent-wise, if that kid was posting, hitting the weight room, and just, God forbid, he's the fourth starter at Tennessee, and he's behind Chase Dolander, Drew Beam, and Chase Burns, and he's still 96 to 98 with a good spinner, and he never starts for him because those guys are there, that guy could still develop into an MLB starter. Dane Dunning's the prime example. He pitched out of the pen for Florida. Now he pitched high leverage out of the pen for Florida, but he's a big leaguer. It's like there's definitely still guys. There's probably a market inefficiency of talent alone from the benches of some of these schools. But now with the transfer portal, is it really does create competitive balance. We see D3 guys going to the D1 level, helping out at that level. We see D1 guys going to the D3 level. We see backups going to start. Campbell's starting catcher. He's a stud, tall guy, physical dude. He's a transfer from Alabama. Flashes power. He's a good ball player. He's playing every day at Campbell. He might not have been playing every day at Alabama. 100%. And it's only good for the game. I mean, it, like, mm-hmm. it's only good for game. Like, to have the talent be spread out throughout the country at some of these smaller schools, it can only help and it can only make things better and it can only make the product more enjoyable. And to your point, you're absolutely right. Some of these guys that are backups that were drafted out of high school that aren't sitting on the bench yet, you got to figure out why they're not in the lineup. But yeah, some of them are still better than starters at other schools and i think with pitching more so than offensively because mm-hmm. obviously you need the reps but like to your point about dane dunning he's like yeah i keeping him in the you know him pitching out of the bullpen almost made him more fresh there wasn't as many innings yep. logged on that arm right and, and if you can if you can throw the ball in the upper 90s you can throw the ball in the upper 90s 100 like, that's just that 100 percent. and so with that obviously like we could there's a very you know big talking point and Again, we talked about this over the offseason. College baseball is a very good opportunity to grow the sport and make sure it's in a good position to be a revenue generator, to put people in the seats, to do all the things that could be done for college baseball to grow. And it's because of the talent. The talent is better than it's ever been. This year's draft, it's the first draft from obviously COVID, which was a five-round draft. It's a great college draft, and we should be marketing these athletes as best as possible. One of the other series that I want to cover quick and was the Ole Miss-Maryland series. 
I know Maryland only won one of the three. Ole Miss is obviously the reigning national champions. But one of the things that I was really impressed with was Maryland showing on Friday night and specifically their lineup. One of the things that's really impressive is Matt Shaw right now is their second lowest hitter, and he's probably a first-round pick this year. Ton of power. He plays up the middle. He's hitting 269 right now with one home run, but he's going to start to get hot. Ian Petrich, who's the DH there, he had a grand slam on Friday night. He has two grand slams on the year, has four homers. They play in a hitter-friendly park that's a lot warmer than some of the other Big Ten schools. I know they lost the series down in SEC country this year, but every guy who steps to the plate right now, they put up their stats from last year. It's 350 with 10-plus homers. That's a very good ball club. I was really impressed. I was thinking if they were going to win, if they would have won the series, they'd probably be in the top 10 that I put together this week, and which I'll actually go through right now. Um where I have LSU at number one, Wake Forest making a jump, not because of anything that Florida did um, or did not do. Just Wake Forest is playing really good baseball, and it actually has a lot to do with the fact that Illinois went down to Southern Miss and won a series in kind of convincing fashion, and Wake Forest handled their business against that Illinois team in impressive fashion that first weekend, and obviously this past weekend they're they're hanging 20 burgers on everybody. And then Florida at three, really impressed with what they got. Just They had a loss to South Florida, whereas Wake Forest undefeated. Stanford at four at five and two. Ole Miss at five, six and one. Good series win against a good Maryland team. Louisville at six and one. Tennessee, watch out. They're kind of rolling right now. That starting rotation is amazing. Arkansas at eight, but five and two. ECU, obviously with the big series sweep against UNC at five and one. And then Vanderbilt coming in at 10 at five and three. They've played a tough schedule. So you got to give some them some credit for challenging themselves early. Dan, as I kind of read through that, any any thoughts on any of the things, any questions of, of some of the things that I might've done? Not at all. I just, I mean, I kind of know this from you, the people, you know, social media, the overreaction to Tennessee starting the year 0-2. Like, they play they play 56 games. <laughs> there was, after they started their season 0-2, there was 54 left. There's way too much talent, and I know that from just from last year. And, I mean, go look at their stats. It's, everybody can go look it up. Like, go look at that pitching staff. The pitching staff is absolutely bonkers. Um and good for Wake Forest, right? I guess we're all we're Wake Forest fans on this pod because of Colin. They're they're loaded, and I know, I know that's a little bit of a hitter's park there from Colin, obviously. But they they, they rake that team they rake. rakes. They rake, and and, <laughs> and, speaking they, of, and they can pitch. They like yeah, they, they do it all. They do it I, all. I, that's that was the thing that I noticed last week, obviously watching in short stints and following them again. They haven't really played. Any that Miami is going to be coming to town soon. Virginia is going to be like the ACC is going to kick into play sure. here March 10th, the weekend of March 10th and 11th. And you know, you and I are going to try and get out there for at least a Rhett, uh, Rhett Louder start and see them play some challenging team. But what this team's doing right now, again, they're nine and oh, it's hard enough to go nine and oh in college baseball, especially when you're playing series and you know, teams get hot for one. But they're hitting 370 as a team with 25 home runs in those nine games while pitching to a 1.25 with 126 strikeouts in 79 innings. The most important thing there is they've always hit home runs. They've always hit high average. They've always had offenses that can rake because of that ballpark. And not even the ERA thing. That's more of playing against teams that you might be better than. But when you can miss bats in a ballpark like that, 
at 126 strikeouts in 79 innings with multiple guys. Sean Sullivan's pitched 10 innings. He has 21 strikeouts. Rhett Lauder's a top 10 draft pick potentially if he continues with the rise that he's had. He's punched out 18 and 11. When you have starting pitchers and relievers that can miss bats at the level that they're missing bats right now, that's how you win in hitters' ballparks, and not to mention the fact that that's how you win on the road. That's how you win. You miss bats, less balls put in play. You let your offense go out there and compete with any team. You have to be fired up about what this Wake Forest team, and I, again, I'm not going to start to say that they're better than the 2017 team that our good friend Colin was, was a part of, but it's start right now I'm saying that they're at least on the same level. The recipe's level. there. The ingredients are there. Yes, the ingredients, the ingredients are there. And anytime, I mean, anytime you're striking out over 100 more people than you're walking, yeah, right, you have a, as a pitching staff, you have a whip under one. Like that's stuff that's just not, I mean, especially in college baseball where it's so momentum driven, like strikeouts and home runs, those things swing momentum mm-hmm. in college baseball. When you're punching guys out, you know, dugouts fired up, they're, yeah. they're talking trash, guys angry. And then when you hit home runs, it's the same thing on offense. So like the ingredients are there for sure. Yes. And and again, I'm super excited to get Wake Forest to, you know, I hate to say to play somebody because again, Illinois handled their business this weekend. They went to Southern Miss, who's a really good Southern Miss team. They have been for really the past couple of years. They're a top team, but March 10th, 11th, and 12th, they're at Duke. And I was impressed with Duke when I saw them play last weekend and watched them on TV. So that'll be a challenge for them. Duke's got some pretty good arms and a pretty good lineup. But that's when we'll start to be able to kind of talk about how good is can Wake Forest be? Is this a team that can push for Omaha? You know, right from what we've seen right now, it looks like it is. Um, and then another team that obviously everybody's talking about, they are the I guess you could say bad boy Pistons of college baseball. They seem to piss everybody off. Uh, it's Tennessee. And and obviously I spent a lot of time, you know, I watched most of their series last week, uh, watch all three games that they played last week, but obviously getting you on, I just kind of want to hear what you see and what you think of a, these arms that they have in Chase Dolander, Chase Burns and Drew Beam, but also how, Nice it must be for Coach Anderson to have those three arms plus bullpen arms that are really good and, and know that you're walking into every series with a chance to to easily take three. 16 guys have pitched for Tennessee this year. 11 of them have zero ERAs. And I don't think you really need to explain much more than that. And those three guys <laughs> that start, they're all like – you drool all over all of them. And like mm-hmm. to have one of those guys in your rotation is like uh, we have a guy. They have three of them. And yeah. they all like they all punch people out at a ridiculous clip. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just—it's ridiculous. I mean, I guess Beam's the only one who isn't really. I mean, he's—he's he's their Sunday guy, and he's probably—would you agree—the the less you know, the least of the three of them. But like the yeah. other two, I mean, Burns has struck out eighteen and eleven innings. Dolander struck out nineteen and in, in ten and a third. And we all know how good he is. He was their best arm last year, and he's the one who's given up the most runs out of the three yeah. of them. Like mm-hmm. that's a good problem to have. I mean, it's ridiculous to watch them. Like what they've done there and what they've built. I mean, again, I'm I'm kind of new to Division One college baseball, but to watch those guys, it's like this is it's different. It's almost different than any other team you you watch. Yeah, so it's interesting about both those things, and and I want to hear your opinion on this. Um, Two things. So first, Chase Dolander, one thing that I noticed is last year the stuff was more – I don't want to say – actually, not the stuff. I'm sorry. The command was more crisp. 
right? And again, that's early season. He he actually laid an egg in, in start one last year that people forget because he just went on a tear through the SEC. Right. Command is a little off right now. He's missing down with the fastball with two strikes, which is not where he should be. He should be up getting those swings and misses. Breaking pitches, he's struggling to go, get for strikes. So I'll ask you this because it's something that was on the fresh on my mind today because I, I reached out to um, – a guy who does a podcast, future projection podcast and ask him the same question of how much of a factor, let's talk about future, actual future projection, the irony here of me asking that of a guy like Chase Dolander, when you have that elite stuff and he's getting swings and misses that pro guys won't swing at because his stuff is that good. How do you evaluate a guy like that, that like can throw a ball at a guy's eyes and the game's moving so fast that the kid just swords at it and then swings at a slider in the dirt. And you're like, that was a horrible at bat. Yeah. And obviously when you're that talented and your stuff's that good, like sometimes you're just going to be better than some of the guys you face at the college level. Not saying that those guys aren't good. And he obviously pitches in the SEC where there's a lot of talent, but I mean, I think he shows enough command, and and you mm-hmm. know it's early in the year, and like you're you're not worried if a guy has timing issues in the second weekend of the season, yeah. are you? Right, like it, no, it's it's almost the same thing. Like that's just mm-hmm. the thing where it's like just getting on the slope, getting the, you know, adding in the adrenaline and seeing another team, and just getting back into the swing of it of the seven day routine. I think he'd be fine, but it, I mean, it is something if it's if it's consistently where he's only getting swings and misses, and he's not in the zone. Right, because I think the thing that you can quantify is swings and misses in the strike zone. Yeah. Right, like how many swings and misses in the strike zone are you getting? Right, when you look at Major League Baseball, if that's what you're trying to project out to, and you look at the guys who are the elite of the elite, right, like Degrom and Scherzer, those guys are in the zone nonstop. They, and they're they can go middle, and middle. Corbin yeah. Burns, right? Like mm-hmm. when you watch Corbin Burns pitch, it's like he's walking no one. And yep. he's getting a ton of whiffs. That's when you know your stuff is that good. So that's kind of the thing you want to look for. Like when he starts to get back into the zone later in the year, it's like how many swings and misses are you getting mm-hmm. on balls in the zone? Well, it's crazy because last year I drooled over him because he was getting swings and misses right. in the zone, right? I think even Jack Leiter was kind of the same thing, but we saw when his transition to pro ball, there was definitely his stuff is some arm stuff was and he definitely got he got some because he pitched the 12-6 off the high fastball he got some swingers at balls that bounced in front of the plate and some chases at the eyes but chase dolander was dot corner dot corner slider off it swing and miss pretty i mean he walked 13 guys last year exactly like 120 plus but as i evaluated the chase dolander today and again this is a draft conversation, which we want to do draft, but for another day of like, sometimes more looks are bad, right? You want to get looks on guys, but like almost get draft fatigue of like, when I've tuned in to chase Dolander on Friday night, I was like, yes, like he's pitching against Dayton, dude. Nobody's putting a ball. He's punching out 13 and six. What do you mean? And he's like missing arm side, which is again, it's funny you brought up timing because it felt like for me, I was like, this is a timing issue. Stuff's right. still crisp. Stuff's still getting a swing of this. And you, I know you brought it up for hitters, but it felt like he was getting used to, used same to the thing. slope, used to the, the, same the thing. Yeah. game. And so, and then the other thing, so it'll be interesting to, to watch Dole Landers, see if he settles in like he did last year and just cruises. And, and cause I mean, people were talking about him being the best 
college arm since Steven Strasburg. And I, I agree. I think this stuff is clean. This stuff is crisp. Everything. He was in the strike zone. He's athletic. His arm doesn't have wear and tear. The it's smooth. It, it doesn't seem effort filled. Like I just, I love. But the profile. Th- but that's the problem, right? Like, the, and part of the problem is that two things, right? It's like we build expectations for people. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. When you start comparing a guy to what Steven Strasburg did, there's that's. Steven Strasburg is one of one, right? Like what's, yes. and, you know, how many guys do you see make their debut and punch out what Strasburg punch out that day? 12? Yeah, 12. In his major league, right? Like that doesn't happen. So then you do mm-hmm. that. And like you said, you remember how good Dolander was, especially down the stretch last year. You're excited to watch an early season start. You're building it up. You're thinking you're going to see 13. Yeah. So now it doesn't, when something looks off, right? You do it all the time in sports, right? You think, mm-hmm. oh, I get a chance to watch this person and I know their numbers, I know their stats. And then when it's not what you've built it up to be, it doesn't look as good. But again, you know, let's let's circle back on him in April. Well, I'm laughing right now, Dan, because he punched out twelve and five and two thirds. Right. So so like, he's, he's fine. Yeah, there's, like, not, there's oh, no issues here. <laughs> I, I was a little off this week. I punched out twelve in five and two thirds. So he might have had thirteen and six if they would have gave him that last. And, and again, again, if you're if you're expecting to see Steven Strasburg and what he was in college, then yeah, it might have not been like right. But he he punched out twelve in yeah. five innings. He's he's it good. was yeah. It was more of the expectation of what he was like like I said it, I mean it was exactly. I hate to I hate to use the comparison of DeGrom but when DeGrom's rolling and pitching what looks like against inferior competition that's what Dolander was last year where everything is around the zone every like the the fastball just has a second gear it's so smooth into the catcher cuz it squares everything up and it's just like easy like the mechanics are so free and easy and it's like you look and you're like he just threw that 98 and it looked like he was just like Oh, here we go. Like, let's get this fastball right. over. Um, so it, hopefully he'll be settling in and who knows, maybe the second half of that starts what gets him dialed in. And the other thing I'll ask you real quick before we move on to, to another team we want to talk about before we get out of here is, you know, when you look at Chase Burns and Drew Beam, one of the most impressive things that I said, and you brought up how Drew Beam's kind of the lesser of the three. Chase Burns the high is the high ceiling top five pick. Drew Beam, Drew Beam is the low floor Mr. Consistency. Correct. When you're able to send a guy like Chase Burns on out on Saturday and he could either give you a no-hitter or he could have a rough outing against Grand Canyon on week one. When he was dialed in, nobody touched him. Like even Jacob Wilson, who's going to go in the top 10, top 15 of the draft this year, was an uncomfortable bat against Chase Burns. He has a tendency to lose the zone. He has a tendency to lose command. The stuff stops to be as crisp. It seems like the slider backs up on him. The fastball, he misses by a landslide, it seems like. And the next thing you know, he's he's four and two-thirds with two earned runs. And you're like, this guy is so much better than what he is. But then you watch Drew Beam go out, and it's every it's Mr. Consistency. Here's six with eight strikeouts. Here's six with six strikeouts and two runs. You know you're getting that length. When you're building a rotation, like – is there anything more perfect than being able to throw your high ceiling guy on Saturday after not to mention after the number one guy in the country who like is probably winning. Then you throw the high ceiling guy where if he gives you a bad start, at least you know what you're getting on Sunday. Or if he throws a no hitter, at least you know what you're getting on Sunday. How cool must that be for, for Vitello and Anderson to be able to line it up like that? Well, it's, it's how everyone would want to build their rotation. You throw the guy out there on Friday who's, who is going to match up against everyone and beat everyone no matter what. Right, like so, you you have the ace on Friday, and then you go out there on Saturday. You you have the stuff guy who's going to go out there and and 
hey, we didn't really have to tax our bullpen yesterday. If he goes out there and he gives us six no hit, then we're, you know this one's another one in the bank. We just won a series. If not, we mm-hmm. can go to the pen early if we need to. If he loses the zone, he runs the pitch count up gets hit around a little bit, whatever it may be, then, you know, your bullpen's fresh probably from the night before, and then you on you know you're going to get a quality start on Sunday. Yep. It's like it's the part – that's how you would build a college rotation is that's it. So, I mean, to it's a luxury because not many people can do that. And it's hard to – again, it's hard to amass this talent because we're talking about it like it's it's easy to do and that's what you want to do, but it's not. I mean, you, it's not. This, is, this is, doesn't come around often. No, I mean – it. it if Tony Vitello came into my house and started schmoozing sh- sh- my mother, I'd probably be on board. He's a good-looking dude. He's probably pretty convincing. Um, I just don't like don't that, to- that shade of orange. Yeah, that's fair. But like, you can tell why the, you can tell why they're a yes. good recruiting group. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, it's the, for sure. Like, like again, this to the everyday person. The handsome Italian might not matter, but in recruiting it does. Like I'm sorry, it does. Like you buy into the vision a little bit more, and he's doing a their staff's doing a great job. They're developing talent at an elite level. I mean, the teams that blew up in the past couple of years weren't exactly top recruiting no. classes, from what I understand, right? Right. And being able to now stack classes with elite player development in the stadium that plays to hitters and a pitching coach who is one of the best in the business. You got it going now. You got it going, and it's probably Vitello's dream job. He's going to be there for the foreseeable future. It's easy. It's easy. I know he's suspended this weekend, probably for a recruiting violation. Shocker. He's got to stay out of trouble. Yeah, Tennessee. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, tell me, have you heard this before? Tennessee recruiting. um, Not always sport next to it. Exactly. So the last team we want to talk about here is a little bit of Florida. I know last week I gave a ton of love to Paul Skeens, who rightfully so deserves it um well florida's got a little two-way guy of their own who arguably might be better i I know people are starting to talk i know paul Skeens gets a lot of love but jack caglianone how do you think i pronounce that pretty good yeah pretty good pretty good all right well i'm getting better with names so he's currently hitting 414 on the year with six homers remember this is weekend two I, i would have paid to have six homers on a career Six BP homers on a career. <laughs> and he's pitching to a 2-3-8 with 15 strikeouts and 11 and a third. He's up to 97 on the mound with legit tools as a hitter. It's it's unbelievable what this kid's doing. And he hit three home runs today, Dan. And the softest hit one was at 110 and 415 plus. He went 118 to the poolside, 115 and 110. Why I mean, is college baseball so good? Right. That's what I was going to say. There's not much more that you can say other than that, right? Like, didn't we just talk about how, like, it's just getting better and better? Like, I don't really have much. You're talking about playing in the best conference in the country and at the highest level of college baseball you can possibly play and being able to do both things that well is not normal. It's no. not. It's like, it's incredible. I mean, to be able to to hit the ball the way he hits the ball, I mean – and then go out there and just blow smoke. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Like baseball's really hard. Like if you watch him, it doesn't look hard. It looks like mm-hmm. oh he does both things better than most people do want. It's not that easy. That's all I gotta say. No. And and again, it's it's the best time to be a college baseball fan. It is a best time for the NCAA to really take advantage of these guys getting on campus. The COVID year, obviously the five round draft was 
you know, stunk for a lot of people that wanted to get drafted. Yeah. I'm sure there's college guys. I mean, Matt Mervis was an undrafted free agent. <laughs> now he's potentially knocking on the door of the big leagues. So some guys made out pretty well, even though they didn't get drafted. So that shortened draft definitely impacted a lot of people, but it also got a lot of these guys to campus. And when we're talking about revenue generating sports, like it's the end of the world and college football's ability to branch off from college athletics and become their own entity. You want to be a revenue generating sport and college baseball has an opportunity. I mean, you look at what guys at Wake Forest are doing. You look at LSU's roster, like you have Paul Skeens, you have Tommy White, you have Jared Jones, who's a true freshman who has like four homers already on the year. He hit one 417 down the line. He crushed that ball. And these – and I didn't even mention Dylan Cruz. Like he's <laughs> yeah, even the number two overall one pick. One. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like what? It's a it's a great opportunity, and I know like and credit like I, I know me and Dan and I are going to start trying to dabble in this. We have experience in the college game, but to the guys at D one baseball, you know, I I see it on Twitter. I see people being active. I see people following college baseball. There's a ton of fans out there that love college baseball. It's growing. It's everybody's doing their part. Hopefully we can do a little bit of getting more coverage out to more people and getting people to start recognize the Vance Honeycuts of the world, the Drew Beams, the Chase Burns, the Chase Dolanders, all of these guys that are superstars, superstars in the game, whether they make it to the MLB or not, whether they become generational superstars at the professional ranks is obsolete to me because these guys are special talents that we get to watch on a weekly basis. We got we got 56 games a year to watch these guys play, and we should definitely be enjoying it. Yeah, there's a place for fans to be able to watch Major League Baseball and be a fan of Major League Baseball and also be able to watch college baseball and not have to think like, oh, well, if he doesn't play in the big leagues, who cares? You know, there's a place to be a fan of both things um, for, for different reasons. It's like NFL and college football, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how many guys are getting drafted off of uh, Fresno State's roster this year in college football? Still watch their games, still enjoy them just the same. Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner, stud. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a good player, but you're, you're right. And in the environment, because that's the other thing is you look at the the environments at yeah. – I know it was cold at Ole Miss this this weekend, but a Friday night at Ole Miss at Swayze. It's unique you and know, fun. With Maryland coming in, and, and then in a couple of weeks we have Tennessee going to LSU. Tune in to watch Alex Box that weekend. When Chase Dolander's on the mound, not only are you going to get to watch Chase Dolander face Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens face Maui Ahuna, and and these guys like that. Hopefully Maui Ahuna, maybe hopefully uh, Christian Moores of the world, those guys. But also, you're going to get to see an atmosphere of a group of people that are that love LSU baseball, right? And it's going to be well worth the price of admission. It's going to be well worth the the ESPN Plus subscription, even though that one's probably going to be on the SEC network. But the point is made. College baseball is in good hands, and we should definitely be talking about it as much as possible. Agreed. Thanks for thanks awesome. for uh, having me to talk about it this week. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll be I'm, back. I'm new to this, but it's fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. You definitely, I love being able to pick your brain about. You know, you get to. I see you're you're licking your lips when I get to say like you're the pitching coach of Tennessee. You have Chase Dolan, <laughs> Chase Burns, and Drew Green, and I yeah, see a little drool trickle down your chin. You're like, oh, that Makes would be your job so fun. Easy. Those are the guys yeah. that make you look good. Exactly. It's like you got to grind through the through the ranks to get to that point where you can just recruit those guys and go. Here's the ball. I'm I'm retiring now, basically. 
I'm just yeah, as we always say on here, like you just stand on the on the bull, on the dirt with them and watch. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned anything about Arkansas, who has a ton of guys who are really good, and their pitching coach is really good. So, but that gives us plenty of things to talk about moving forward. Dan, hopefully, we'll be getting you on every week. Like I said to, to our listeners, we're going to try to do these episodes every week. You know, I've been watching college baseball from my couch. We've been getting out watching games live. You know, Dan and I will be texting back and forth about certain games, cer- certain scores. You know, we might not be as well informed as some of the people that cover it nationally, but, you know, we're definitely paying attention, doing our best, trying to give you guys a dose of perspective that, you know, who would have thought you'd be listening to a podcast talking about the handsome Italian recruiting and smoozing your mom. Nobody else is doing that. That's used to be me and you, you, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you imagine this pretty face walking in being like, hey, you should come be a knight. Come join the night nine. You know, oh, like, that, that, yeah, exactly. Bought in. So imagine Tony Vitello is way more handsome. He's got great hair and he's got a lot more money than me that coming in and talking to people. So he's doing all right. But, you know, hopefully you guys are enjoying this episode. Super excited for what we got coming this week specifically. There's going to be a lot of episodes. We got a lot of different perspectives. Colin's going to be back i know everybody's trying to make sure he made it out to arizona state safe he did drive through a snowstorm to get there um shocker when he was outside of phoenix it was snowing which is just mind-boggling um but he made it out there safe he had to get through all of his physicals he had to get through all of his stuff but he's going to be starting stuff tomorrow where he's going to be doing stuff in the morning it'll be available at night He's going to be lining up a couple guests for us. We're going to be getting spring training perspective. You guys want to talk about the pitch clock? You guys want to hear about the pitch clock? How about somebody who's pitching with the pitch clock and who pitched with the pitch clock last year, giving you his perspective on how things are going in out in Arizona right now? Everybody wants to talk about it. You're getting the best perspective on the planet right there. Guy's going to come on this podcast and, and talk about, you know, throwing with that thing breathing down his neck. So hopefully everybody's excited. Make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast, sharing with five friends. Every little bit helps. Every five-star rating helps. Every share to a friend that might like it helps. We're just trying to grow this thing one bit at a time and, and hopefully be a podcast that people can recognize. You know, the the intro music and the logo is what we're hoping to be recognized for. So, Dan, anything, any closing thoughts? No. Of course, Subscribe well, to the pod. Yeah, there you go. Follow on all social channels, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.